0: So, Bob, you are a mental health counselor and you have perhaps more experience than I do with regards to mental illness like schizophrenia, bipolar, and that sort of thing. Am I, am I assuming correctly?
1: Yeah, not in many years, but yes.
0: In the beginning of your career, mm-hmm. you treated a lot of people with what we call in the business severe mental illness, right? Yes, that's true. I do not. So I thought I would have you on the show to talk about access to mental health care, although both of us might be in a position now in our careers where we might not know that much about it. But I I don't know. I feel like you're going to know more about it than I do. So we're going to talk about the, the general lack of access to mental health care. What do you say?
1: Sounds good. I think it's still a problem. Absolutely.
0: This is the Psychology in Seattle podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Kirk Honda. I'm a therapist and a professor. Who are you, Bob?
1: Uh, my name is Bob Gettle. I'm a therapist here in town in Seattle.
0: And you're an old classmate of mine and? from from our master's program uh, in 1995 <laughs> when I started growing my hair out, and we became friends. We did. And here we are.
1: It was so, only 22 years ago.
0: It was only 22 <laughs> years ago, yeah. Um, so the reason why I want to talk about this is because a patron wrote in who will remain anonymous, and she says, it's sort of a long email, but I think it's, it's very interesting. She's a nurse who suffers from bipolar, uh-huh. and so she is talking, and she lives in a, in a part of the country where there's a, a, a little bit more of a problem when it comes to access to mental health care. So today I'm going to read this email, it takes a while, but, and then we're going to talk about some research, and we're going to talk about the reason, the factors involved in a lack of mental health care. And Bob, feel free to sprinkle in whatever you want. Okay, so the email goes, Hey Kirk, I want to see if you have any input on this. My My experiences with the lack of access to mental health care has been incredibly frustrating. In the last week, I swung from hypomania to a crushing depression. I am lucky that I am already established with a psychiatrist and a therapist. This week reminded me, however that when i was first looking for a psychiatrist a year ago it took me 2 months to get in somewhere and that's with connections i have because i'm a nurse in a large hospital it also reminded me that finding a therapist experienced with trauma was an arduous task again i know some people and again i again i know some people and i had help looking for someone and it was still very hard to push through and not just say screw it when I'm in crisis, like I was last uh, this week, I often think about how difficult it is for the average person to find care, much less how, how hard it must be if you are mentally ill, have a lack of resources, etc. The other big f- frustration this week was the lack of options I had. I was having intrusive thoughts about suicide, but I wasn't actively suicidal. My doctor and therapist thought I could benefit from an inpatient stay, but my husband and I disagreed. In years past, before I had kids, I had multiple inpatient stays that amounted to having my shoestrings taken away and being babysat for a few days to make sure I didn't hurt myself. There are four options in my city for inpatient psychiatric care. I've been to two of them, and supposedly the other two are worse. The hospital I work at has a program that is highly rated. It involves two group sessions a day and a meeting with a psychiatrist daily. We often send patients to the psych ward after getting them medically stabilized following an overdose. So she's a nurse that works in another department at the hospital. Mm -hmm. The psychiatrists we speak to in order to get these patients transferred have very negative views about their patients, and it shows. Mm. All of this is to say, I was not willing to go to inpatient unless I was not safe. My husband stayed at home with me for uh, a couple days and my mom had my kids. Financially and emotionally difficult, but better than a hospital stay where I would feel trapped and not receive any helpful treatment. My next option was to do intensive outpatient program and this sounded feasible. I had 3 options there. One I had, one I had attended in the past and was in, which was insanely understaffed. Uh, group therapy consisted of over thirty patients with one therapist. Can you imagine that? Wow.
1: They don't even do schools that way. <laughs>
0: I mean, I cannot imagine thirty patients and me. That's like a yeah, that's like a seminar. It's yeah. not, it's not group therapy. No. The other had no openings, so I went to the third. Twenty-four hours, multiple phone calls between my therapist, doctor, program director. And a four-hour wait in the emergency room, and I finally gave up. I hear about how mental illness needs to be treated from multiple angles, like medication, therapy, coping skill development, treating the whole family, group therapy, etc. But it feels like one would be lucky to just find a doctor who would throw medications their way and hope for the best. I have had a friend who had severe postpartum depression and struggled to get anything more than an antidepressant from her OB. She couldn't get in with a psychiatrist. Therapists in the area are booked for weeks. Inpatients would have required, an inpatient stay would have required her to leave her baby with nurses, and she didn't want to do that. So a group of us took turns staying with her around the clock for about a week until she didn't feel suicidal. Most people don't have a group of friends willing or able to do that. Substance abuse care is the same. If you are lucky and have good insurance, you can detox and get in with a good outpatient program, but most can't do so. I get many patients that are detoxing in my department at the hospital, usually from alcohol or heroin, and 90% of our doctors and nurses have no education on the matter, and many don't even care. Patients are admitted and given no meds to help with withdrawal. They are denied pain or nausea medicine because... They are only seen as drug-seeking, and, and they are treated with disdain. The lucky ones get sick enough that they require a transfer to our ICU, where at least they are medically sedated. I would love to hear a podcast about this topic in some way. What do you see? Is there a large disparity between those with financial resources versus those without? Have you seen a shift during your career with regards to inpatient care? What does your area offer... Uh, does your area offer better programs than what mine does? What suggestions do you have for people in crisis who don't want to be dumped in a hospital for a couple days until they are just barely safe enough to be discharged? Is there is this a frustrating thing you experience, or are you isolated because insulated? Are you insulated because of the types of clients you see, Bob? These are all excellent questions.
1: What do you think? I think these are excellent questions, and I think uh, you're. Patron is outlining a serious problem. Yeah, that is probably nationwide, if not worldwide.
0: Yeah, what have you experienced? Uh, so, in your current practice, yeah. you have a private practice. Your office is—is is it still on
1: Capitol Hill? Moved down the street here to Maple Leaf.
0: Oh yeah, you're in Maple Leaf, so North Seattle. Yeah. And what kind of clients
1: do you currently see? Uh, a lot of couples. So couples, not a lot of crisis. Right. One on one. Um, not folks that tend to have uh, the kind of crises that your patron is describing. And then I run this DBT skills class, which actually attracts a fair number of people who are in crisis. And we have a consistently long wait list. And there are actually more DBT resources available in Seattle area than there were even five years ago. And everybody has a wait list.
0: So there are people who need dialectical behavioral therapy and dialectical behavior therapy?
1: Behavior or behavioral therapy? I think the second one. Yeah.
0: Isn't that weird that it's like it could be both, right? It could. But there are not enough clinicians that are uh, available to provide that service.
1: And these are, they tend to attract people uh, who have money, enough resource to pay for such a thing because it's kind of pricey. Yeah. And there are, uh, that I'm aware of, Two community mental health programs that offer DBT. Yeah. One of them offers a full program of DBT, which is individual counseling plus that skills training. Is that Harborview? At Harborview. And yeah. it's run by somebody I think is really good. Yeah. And uh, the other one is uh, just a skills class. Just a skills class. It's a skills class in a community mental health clinic up here in North Seattle. The Ryther or something? A community psychiatric clinic.
0: Oh, yeah, that's right. That's where you did your internship. Yeah.
1: And and you worked started that class, and that was twenty years ago. Oh, you and, started that class with your friend, with my friend, and uh, still running, as far as I know. And um, boy, there's so much. Well, so what to you're say. saying
0: there is there's a lot of people suffering from conditions like borderline or other kinds of issues that uh, create uh, a lot of problems for them in their life. Yeah, and DBT is a an effective treatment to help them uh, cope and to help them reduce their symptoms and to help them have a functional life in this very uh, skills based, evidence based, um, you know, higher than normal success rate sort of way. Yeah. And it's in a lot of ways the standard of care when it comes to uh, borderline and, and other kinds of issues along these lines. Yeah. And yet, there are not enough clinicians in general. And what you're also pointing to is there's only one program that provides the full, the full DBT service at Harborview and, and, and that are for people that can't afford it. Yes, And that program uh, probably has a huge wait list. Probably has a huge wait list. Right. If you had a huge wait list of people with broken arms who couldn't get treatment for their broken arms… Or a huge wait list of people who had diabetes and couldn't get treated for diabetes. The As a community, we would say, that's insane. How in the world do we live in a society that has a wait list for people who need care? And yet, when it comes to mental health care, we're totally fine with it. And that's the problem right there, right? So in your early career at... Uh, community cpc community psychiatric uh, clinic you treated more people that as you're saying yeah. have crises that require greater levels of service besides just an hour of psychotherapy a week like psychiatry hospitals that wrap around services that kind of stuff and so um what was your experience then in terms of people's access to to mental health care
1: it's a good question. You know, I'm I'm thinking back to when I first moved to Seattle in 1992, and I was a case manager at uh, a community mental health clinic that no longer exists down South King County. And at the time, we had eight case managers, each with a caseload of between 15 and 20 clients. That was when I started in 92. And when I ended in just a couple of years later, um, the caseloads had doubled number of case managers had shrunk in half. They had switched things around. And basically what I'm trying to say is there was a squeeze more for less.
0: From funds.
1: Yeah, from funds.
0: And you got funds from the government?
1: Yeah, from the Medicaid program state.
0: So because of politicians and policymakers and Medicaid administrators, they reduced funding for mental health help and for case management help. So case manager, explain that to the listeners. Maybe they don't understand what
1: you were doing. Um, sort of like in between inpatient treatment and psychotherapy, there's case management, which are folks who um, are there to assist in crisis and often do linkage to resources like, I need a place to live, or I don't have enough food, or how am I going to pay for these meds? Yeah. And so... Um, uh, and along with that is, you know, emotional support, right? Someone who's your ally who cares,
0: yeah, which can make a huge difference oh, yeah. in someone's life. Feeling that someone cares, yes, is a big deal. Right. Having someone who's in the system who can advocate for them, connect right. them with resources, is a huge deal. Huge. Um, someone who can talk to other clinicians for you and say, hey, you know. They're not quite so happy with their medication, but they feel shy that they can't really say that to you. Could you maybe lighten up a little bit? on <laughs> <laughs> uh, The other thing I'll say before going into the bulk of what I want to talk about is this patron is a wonderful person, I just have to say. She uh, you know, talks about how one of her friends suffered from postpartum depression and was having trouble finding – access to anything other than just getting an antidepressant from her OB and then her and her friends decided to gather around her and be with her 24/7 which is the best thing you can do for someone who has suicidal thoughts essentially that's all inpatient is is you're around staff 24/7 and it's really hard to go down a path mentally and behaviorally, to kill yourself when you're in the midst of other human beings. It's hard practically because if someone sees you, they can tackle you or something or you know, intervene somehow. But also just mentally, when we are around other humans, it just makes us feel better. And when we're isolated, we feel worse. And so, so if you can, just when I work with people who are High risk of suicide. If it's below the threshold where I think hospitalization is absolutely necessary, and there's a good a number of people who don't reach that threshold, then I just have I just say, can I call your spouse or your mom or somebody? And then I call them and I give them the full rundown and I say you have to you have to watch them twenty four seven and they, they can't they can't even go to the bathroom by themselves i say you have to go into the bathroom with them because that could be the moment that they decided or they could lock themselves in there or something and so you know get rid of the guns the knives the pills you know but that's the that's the thing and so that's what this patron did and i just think you know she's she's indicating some some really uh, warmth and compassion and and a can-do attitude which is which is good also, her email is just so descriptive in terms of the kinds of barriers that one run in, run, runs into, even though she's a nurse in a hospital. That's what's so interesting, right? Presumably, she has funds and, and medical insurance. So she are, she has that privilege. She's a professional. She has connections. She She has friends. And yet, she still has trouble accessing mental health care in America. Do you know? Um, Incidentally, I looked up where she lives because all the patrons typically have their address on Patreon. I I won't reveal, obviously. But she lives in a part of the country that traditionally has less access to mental health care in the South. But statistics, uh, the South isn't that different from the rest of the country. Um, When they rank states on access to mental health care – there are some differences, and I'll get into some specifics here in a second. But, but it's actually this is a countrywide problem, and the South isn't. And in some southern states, it's they're actually better than than a lot of northern states. It just there's a lot of different kinds of way of, ways of looking at
1: it. But anyway, does she live in an urban area or a rural area?
0: It sounds like she lives in an urban area because she said there's four inpatient oh, yeah. places in her city. Right. Um. But, yeah, if you're living in a rural area, then forget about it, yeah. right? Uh, you know, we still have programs in this country like Northern Exposure where a remote village will pay off the debt of a clinician who moves to their community because they, if they just let capitalism do its thing, there won't be a single therapist who comes to their, comes to their town, so they have to subsidize people moving there. And so right now therapists if you're wanting to get rid of all your debt you can actually sign up for these programs and move to other cities i didn't know that yeah it's not a it's not a federal thing what it is is essentially like i knew someone who i think wenatchee in washington it's it's a central washington it's a you know semi-remote town and they offer for for novice therapists to move out there and They will uh, give you a bonus, essentially for for your debt. But essentially, it's just extra pay. (laughs) You know what I mean? Uh, But they label it as, you know, uh, for every year you work with us, they'll they'll give you twenty grand to pay off your debt or something like that. Um. So, so yeah. Uh, I that's a fucked up system. I just have to say, (laughs) you know, uh, if we had communities that didn't have a single physician or a, or an ER or an ambulance system or something, we would say that's not right. You know, that's not okay. We need to have uh, – everyone needs equal access and there needs to be enough clinicians to go around anyway. So, Bob, I'm going to run some, some research by you. And I, so just – I'm going to ask you questions and you'd guess. Okay? All right. In the U.S., what percentage of people with mental illness do not receive mental health mental health care treatment? What, Two, per, what percentage?
1: I'd say two-thirds, 66% thereabouts. Close, 50%. Mm-hmm. Uh,
0: what percentage of adults have experienced a mental health issue in the past? What, what percentage of adults have experienced a mental health issue in the past?
1: Well, depending on how you define it, I'd say almost all of them.
0: Yeah. Well, according to this stat, I think it's... Um, uh, well, it says 20%, so, you know, take that or leave that. But, yeah, I mean, if you include, like, all the various different adjustment disorders and, and whatnot. But, anyway, percentage who uh, who currently live uh, in, of Americans, percentage who currently live with a serious mental illness, such as schizophrenia, bipolar, or major depression, what percentage would you
1: say? I'd say around 2 or 3%. Yeah, 4%. 4%. What
0: well, percentage of adults, and that's a lot, you it know, is 4% of... of what, three hundred twenty-five people yeah, that's a lot of people yeah. with a serious mental illness, you know we're not talking about phobias or I'm, I'm guessing they don't even include PTSD, but they should, but um, so we're you know schizophrenia, bipolar, major depression yeah um, what percentage of adults with a mental illness remain uninsured? What percentage of adults who have a mental illness do not have insurance in the United States of america? I would guess more than half. Uh, 17%. 17. Oh, no, not which even is, close. Yeah. Which is uh, almost 8 million people though. Yeah. So there are 8 million people in America walking around who have a mental illness who don't even have m- medical insurance. Yeah. <laughs>
1: I mean, it's like... <laughs> you know, it's terrible because, uh, the, the obstacles that mental illness will present in terms of a person being successful in the world of work, you know, these are really incompatible things. Right
0: and it and it compounds because if you're not getting treatment then you know everything just gets worse it and gets worse. worse and then you end up in prison and blah 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 right what percentage of adults with mental illness received no treatment in the past year and i think this is a general description of mental illness what percentage of adults with mental illness received no treatment in the past year say 30% 57% wow 57% no treatment no treatment. None. None. No meds. No counseling. <laughs> yeah. No therapy. Yeah. For, for those seeking treatment, so some people might not be seeking treatment, but for those seeking treatment, what percentage report that they can't get proper treatment?
1: I think this is your patron's point. Yeah. Um, one of our points. Yeah. Um, I don't know, maybe about 40%.
0: Yeah, 20%. So, good good percentage of yeah, people.
1: Yeah, one in five. What, <laughs> and, and that doesn't necessarily include those who are getting adequate treatment because right. I think that's a, the other thing your patron said was she might be able to access treatment, but it's not going to help her. Right, yeah. Right, exactly. So what constant, so
0: I'll get to a stat there in a second. What percentage of children and, ad, and adolescents who have a serious mental health problem or what percentage of children and adolescents have a serious mental health problem? What would you say? i have 20%. Close. 10%. 10%. And well, and so twenty percent have uh, any sort of mental health problem. So twenty percent of children and adolescents currently suffer from a mental illness, and half of those have a serious mental illness. Wow. What percentage of youth with major depression do not receive any do not receive any mental health treatment at all?
1: Oh, I gotta say, more than
0: half. Yeah, sixty four percent. Yeah, sixty four percent of of youth with major depression. That's no joke. Major depression do not receive any mental health treatment. That's two-thirds. That is just like appalling. Again, if two-thirds of people with broken arms did not receive any treatment, two, two-thirds of people without diabetes, no treatment, two-thirds of people with, I don't know, what what's another problem? Got in a car accident. Yeah, two-thirds of people who get in a car accident receive no treatment. It's crazy. Um, what percentage of youth with severe depression receive consistent treatment? So what percentage of youth, of youth with severe depression receive consistent treatment, which they defined as seven or more sessions per year, which is still not that much, that's, but, but you know, consistent treatment.
1: Yeah. I wouldn't even know how to guess. Say yeah. 30%.
0: Close. 22%. Yeah. So very few people, and that's pretty low, seven sessions a year, you know, <laughs> Yeah. Um so even the definition of just like, well, some people are getting treatment, but it's like, well, are they getting as your point, are they getting adequate treatment? Right. Nationally, there is one mental health care provider for every how many individuals do you think? Thousand. Close. Five hundred twenty nine. So there's there's a so in the United States there's one there's one of us for every five hundred ish people. Wow. What about in Washington?
1: What what would you say? Oh, well, it's got to be skewed to, you know. More of us. Yeah. What is it? A fifth of the population in Washington lives in this area? Right, in Seattle. Okay. So it's going to be tricky. Uh, Let's see. What did we say the other stat was? One in
0: in 500 nationwide. Okay. Say one in 300. Close. One in 380. And we're 14th in the nation. You would think we'd be like one of the first. California, number one. No, um, it's actually New England states. Like really? Vermont, Maine, and Massachusetts. Yeah.
1: So if you have to have a mental health trouble, that's the best part of the country to live in. New England. Yeah.
0: That's weird, right? That is weird. Massachusetts, Vermont. Yeah. There's a lot of therapists in New England.
1: You've been to Maine in the winter? <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, I haven't, actually. It's one of the few states I've never been to. Nope. Um, okay, and what, what's the worst part of the United States in terms of the amount of therapists per individual? You're going by state, or
1: yeah, uh, I'd say a state like Mississippi, probably. Yeah,
0: close Alabama. Alabama. <laughs> uh, what what number would you say they have one for every? So we're three eighty nationwide, five twenty nine. Probably like one in eight hundred. One in one in twelve hundred.
1: Twelve hundred. Yeah,
0: Alabama one in twelve hundred. So Alabama has per capita a like three times less so we have so in 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 washington state and we're not talking just seattle we're talking the entire state which is a lot of rural areas included we have three times the amount of mental health care people uh per
1: capita that's insane um you know on the one hand you could say that oh well if you want job security move down to alabama yeah but you're probably living in a system that does not support right
0: or a culture that doesn't culture. seek yeah seek you know help so right. Right. which is another thing that you know okay so the world horth the, the world health organization or as i like to call it the world horth organization has actually tackled this and studied it and they've come up with the following key barriers that need to be overcome around the world not not only in the united states but there is an absence of, of mental health from the public health agenda. So when people talk about public health, mental health care doesn't, isn't raised very often. There's also a lack of funding, which is obvious. There's also, they, they say that the current organization of mental health services isn't, isn't good enough, which I'm guessing refers to, like in the United States, in Seattle, for instance, a lot of mental health people are completely separated from the health system like you and I are private practitioners but we don't work in a hospital we don't have a relationship with a hospital we don't have a relationship with a physician or a psychiatrist or a you know internist or whatever they don't have a relationship with us they don't know about us there's no directory there's no there's no website there's no there's nothing we're just we're I'm as ignorant about the the medical field as the layperson is I mean I probably maybe know a little bit more but but you know, in general, the you know, uh, I'm people will come to me sometimes, and I'm just like, well, I don't know, call your medical insurance. <laughs> I just don't, even for psychiatry sometimes. And oh, so, yeah, so, um, you know, that's uh, that's weird. So, in other parts of the world, uh, I think they have similar kinds of issues, um, a lack of integration with within primary care. So it's, that's a similar thing. Inadequate human resources for mental health, so not enough of us, and lack of public mental health leadership, which is an interesting factor that the World Horth Organization came up with, is just a lack of a lack of leadership, a lack of adv- advocacy, a lack of people raising awareness. Um. So, what do you think, in addition to this, or you know, these kinds of what do you think the factors are that are involved in why we're so many people like the patron are running into
1: a lack of mental health
0: care services. What do you think?
1: We don't know a whole lot about mental health and we've known about broken arms for a long time. Centuries. Yeah. And it's only in the last, what, 60 years that, um, and I think comes out of world war two that, um, empirically validated treatments have kind of, started to come around and the people have actually started to take a look at. So I think when it comes to mental health, we're babies.
0: Yeah. So that's one problem. What's another problem. Do you think?
1: Um, well, I don't know what you think about this, but I think that there's a transition happening, uh, where these kinds of troubles, um, landed in the realm of spirituality and religion. And so where somebody's minister would be, um, I don't like this word, but responsible for providing this kind of care. And we are transitioning into a different way of thinking about it. You know, I hate to say there's stigma, but there is. Oh, yeah. But it's sort of just a tired thing to say, but it's true. There is still stigma. Oh, yeah. I think uh, we are largely ignorant yeah. about what is mental health and what does that really mean? Still a lot of shame. Uh, probably not for you or me. I mean, I don't have any trouble saying I have problems with depression or whatever. You know, Wellbutrin is a great drug. Yeah. Um, but um, for many people, and it's it's I guess it's a little bit hard for me to relate to because I am so comfortable. But you know,
0: and the people we hang at, around with, yeah. and obviously our clients right. aren't gonna S- aren't gonna want to participate in stigma. Yeah. So, but yeah, the I agree, stigma is the main problem. Yeah, we're idiots as, <laughs> as humans. We we have no idea how to sift through the notion of of mental problems we have a culture uh, that is widespread around the the world that stigmatizes this sort of thing if you have a broken arm no stigma unless you did it doing something stupid but even then you're still going to if you have a broken arm there's there's not a lot of circumstances that you're going to stay home uh, you're going to go to the hospital and get and get help,
1: and nobody's going to look at you funny because you got a broken arm.
0: Right? You got a cast on. They, they want to sign they, it. Yeah, they might even think it was kind of cool. Yeah, like oh, you're a tough guy. Mental health? No, 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 no. the f- The first, I mean, one uh, another factor that I'll say is a lot of people because of a lack of awareness and a lack of education and a lack of just general knowledge, people don't even know they have a mental problem until sometimes it's too late. They'll 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 think. Uh just I don't know just lack of energy or or they'll blame it on people around them you know they if they're severely depressed or or bipolar or something, for instance, they might start just blaming the world, blaming the government, blaming you know anyone other than I think my brain is a little funny <laughs> right now, and I need some help with that
1: hard to have insight,
0: right be well p- insight is affected by mental illness sometimes right yeah. if you're bipolar and you're manic it's hard to imagine that there's something different about yeah. you but at the, but at the same time are we a lot of people don't even know what mania is oh. you know if you just polled people on the street what's mania they'd be like i don't even know or if you said well bipolar what is that they'd be like oh isn't that where the one where they kill people like don't bipolar people kill people like literally yeah. be, and so Whereas if you said, you know, what's diabetes? I think you know a good amount of people would would be able to say, oh, it has something to do with you know sugar, sugar. and you can pass out, and isn't there like insulin or something? Or you know, tell me about um, allergies. What what's an allergy? Or what's the flu? There 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 are our mass of uneducated <laughs> citizenry can ask a fair number fair number of medical questions that could be improved too, but. When you ask people about actual uh, mental illness, it's just like they have no idea. I mean, the average person thinks schizophrenia is dissociative identity disorder. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, you know, you're so schizophrenic. One day you're like this, and the next day you're like that, you know? And it's like, that's not schizophrenia. I mean, and that's one of the most easily identifiable mental illnesses, you know what I mean? Mm. And so, it's just – so, anyway – There's a general lack of of just sophistication. So people don't even, people don't individually even know that there's something wrong. You know, like we raise a lot of awareness about heart attack. You know, since I was a kid, I've just, I don't know a single person in my family who's had a heart attack that's close enough to me for me to have seen it. But I can tell you that if I had a few of the symptoms, I would know it sweating, a pain in my chest or back, uh, shortness of breath. Um, you know, right there yeah. it's like I, I've never seen it, but right away, mm-hmm. and I'm a medical layperson, I know the symptoms. How many people know the symptoms of bipolar how many how many people know you know the onset of PTSD or something you know yeah. the the average person just doesn't know, and that's that's a problem but um but yeah, stigma we're idiots, like I said, and uh, culturally, depending on the situation, we might have had systems that actually like labeled people with mental illness as broken or immoral or mm-hmm. or um possessed by the devil mm-hmm. or something, and so uh that doesn't help, but we're still in the stone age. we ignore it uh patients are afraid to speak up, politicians avoid it um, and I you know even our own field, we tend to just be siloed and we should be picking, and I know there are. There are movements. People are trying to raise awareness, and people are doing things, and that's all good for the movement. But there should be like a, you know, a million, a million crazy people march or something on Washington <laughs> at some point. I'd participate in that. And uh, you know, has there ever been such a thing? Do you know? I feel, I feel like there must have been at some point some kind of massive march for mental illness. Yeah. You know, not that I'm aware of. I think uh, Hands Across America or something was that related to mental illness? I don't know. I don't think it was. Okay. Yeah. Now I'm just making shit up.
1: Oh well.
0: So, um, so yeah, the the factors just rattling them off here. There's a, last, a lack of personal funds. So in order to get, uh, as you were pointing out, t- uh, to get on the shorter waiting list for the DBT groups, you need money. Yeah. <laughs> if you if you don't have any money, then you get put it on the longer waiting list. Um, so, just a lack of personal funds, a lack of knowledge of where to turn people just don 't know where to go, yeah, a lack of clinicians knowing where to send people right um, a shortage of mental health care workers uh, another stat here eighty nine million Americans live in what the fed or, what the feds call mental health professional shortage areas <laughs> mental health professional short so the feds have looked into this and identified mental health professional shortage areas. And they've identified about a fourth of Americans live in these shortage areas. Um, Government cuts. There's a lot of uh, budget cuts to this sort of thing. There's also low reimbursement from insurance plans, which make it harder to provide good enough service for people. Mm -hmm. And less people are attracted to the industry because if you're in the medical field in particular – if you want to make money, you might go somewhere else, you know? Yes. Um, and also, frankly, people—another problem is people like me who choose to avoid severe mental illness, even though I'm in the field and mm-hmm. with some extra help could actually, you know, help people like this. But I go into private practice and work with what I would call self-actualizers, you know? Mm-hmm. and. Um, so I think we're part of the problem too, (laughs) because, you know, you used to work with more of these people, but as you progress in your career, you're like, you're like, no, I want to do this other, I want to work with people who are funner to work with essentially. And so that's another problem. Mm. Um, uh, like I said, lack of awareness. There's also problems with lack, uh, a lack of a particular treatment type, like lack of inpatient services or lack of psychiatry in a particular area. So so those are the factors I can think of. What are the effects? Let's try to let's try to scare people and help them realize like look, unless we change this around, particularly the stigma part and the government funds part, we're going to continue seeing a number of problems. What kind of problems do we see as a result of a lack of mental health coverage or or care for people?
1: Well, more misery.
0: Right. Just that's the first one I say is just like suffering. People suffer, and people should care about that. You know What else?
1: I'm drawing a blank.
0: Prolonged symptoms, so oh, lack yeah. of treatment.
1: It gets worse.
0: Gets worse. What else?
1: Uh, more death, premature death. Yeah. I don't know that that in and of itself will actually catch anybody's attention, and that's an <laughs> appalling thing to be true.
0: Yeah. Well, if you have a loved one yeah. who is at risk, they could die before their time and from suicide or some something else. Uh, crime goes up when you don't have people. It's not that mentally ill people are criminals, but when you have a mental illness and your life is going down the tubes and you can't get food or, I don't know, anything, then, you know, the chance might go up. Plus, when you're highly symptomatic... You know, for instance, ma- manic, it's hard to s- stay straight and narrow in those situations, and you know some at least minor crimes are uh, uh, prone to happen in those
1: situations. You're talking about impulsive behavior?
0: Yeah, um, and or just weird thinking, mm-hmm. you know, like like a-, a friend of mine actually had a manic episode in which he believed everyone was his best friend. And so he, but he didn't. And he wanted cigarettes, and he wanted to go to the bar and get a drink and stuff. And so he was convinced that every all these workers were his best friends and would spot him the money. You know, he's just like, "So give me a pack of camels, you know," and get the pack. And he's like, "Oh, I'll, I'll I'll get you back. I don't got any money right now. I'll get you back." And and they're like, uh, "Sir, you have to pay for it." He's like, "No, no, 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 no. I'll get you back. Don't worry about it." And he just walks out of the store. And he did this like. He did a string of these things over the span of like, I don't know, like 10 minutes or something. And then the, the cops kind of, you know, rounded him up. Oh, but, poor guy. Yeah. So and then when people were, started reacting to him funny, he started getting really upset because he thought everyone was his best friend, you know. Anyway, um, so uh, also people, another effect is a lot of the, these people, because they don't have access to proper care, the right sort of care. They use a lot of other services like the emergency room service. Um, Also, a lot of people end up going to prison partially because they want to go to prison so they can actually get some help, but also because when someone commits a crime and they're deemed as having a mental illness, then this is where we send them. And, And we don't really have... Uh, enough resources for, for treatment in that situation. You know what I mean?
1: We're not sophisticated enough to deal with that properly. We right. kind of have a one size fits all when it comes to that sort of thing. Right. If you commit a crime, then you're a criminal and you go into the criminal justice system as opposed to, well, what are the factors that go into this? And I'm not trying to excuse crime on the one hand, but on the other hand, it ain't one size fits all.
0: Right. You, you know, and when we think of crime, we think like, you know, murder and assault, but that's not often the case. The, the case is like you. You're suffering from schizophrenia, right. and you hear voices, and you see things, and you're paranoid, yeah. and you've alienated all your friends and family, and you don't have a job, and you don't have any money, and you you can't get access to proper care, and so you end up squatting in a in an abandoned house or something. Well, that's a felony, yeah, and and then you get deemed to have schizophrenia, and then you get put into prison. Where the whole thing could have been fucking solved, if there was proper care yeah. from the beginning, or um, you know, someone is using substances like mm. alcohol or or heroin or something to cope yeah. with with their issues, right? And they again homeless, they're on the streets, and they get caught in the streets with with heroin, and that's another felony. Right. And but you know. Those are the kinds of crimes I'm talking about. Right. <laughs> you know? You're not talking about violent crime. Yeah. I'm, I mean, it can happen, of course, but... There's but lower
1: the, incidence of violent crime among people with severe mental illness than there is among the general population. Right. These are not dangerous folks. Right.
0: Occasionally it happens, but it happens a lot more among people who don't have mental illness is the thing. So uh, Oddly enough. Yeah. So the, the issue of crime that I'm talking about that lands people with mental illness in prison often is... Is drug related, um, you know, trespassing,
1: more victimless crime.
0: Yeah, just kind of just your 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 minor crimes that sort of pile up that and that put you in prison. You know, yeah. um, so so yeah. Uh, also, the last thing I'll say, and hopefully you know this motivates you is. People of color and LGBTQIA mm-hmm. people are much more likely to suffer as a result of this lack of mental health care coverage, not only because of the oppressive um, uh, the uh, results of oppression and marginalization will cause people to suffer from more what we call mental illness, you mm-hmm. know PTSD from being abused or right. from being you know uh, marginalized, bullied. This kind of stuff, but but also, once they enter, once they try to interface with the system, the system discriminates against them. Oh, so they get this double whammy, they're more likely to yeah. be marginalized and need mental health services, and then once they approach it, they're more likely to be discriminated against. And so, that to me is just like appalling.
1: It is appalling, <laughs> yeah.
0: So, the amount, and there's studies that show this that the amount of people of color and LGBTQIA people who are not being treated are is much higher than it is for
1: privileged white people. Right. So diagnosis itself is a source of prejudice. Have you noticed this? Like the word borderline. I, I saw somebody just this week who had sought mental health treatment. And when the clinician, you know, was diagnosing and came up with that as a diagnosis, refused to treat.
0: Refu- like, what did they say? Like, I don't
1: treat that. And there's go away. this, yeah, and there's this like undercurrent of, and I've noticed this in the, uh, among folks in this profession. Oh, yeah. That diagnosis, it just um, makes people either scared or irritated. Right. But you don't see too many gastroenterologists who get irritated because their patient had appendicitis. Right, exactly.
0: Yeah, it's insane. Uh it, the the phrase that I often think of when I run into this uh and and it never seems to I I don't think it really encapsulates what I'm trying to say, but it but it totally encapsulates it does itself to me, which is people come to therapy because they have problems. <laughs> Does that make sense to you? It makes complete sense to me. Yeah. You know, people don't come to therapy because they don't have problems. Right. And so, if they come to therapy and it happens to be uh, the problem that we label as borderline, yeah. then that's the problem you fucking treat, pal. Right. You know what I mean? Uh, now, I understand if, if it's not your specialty or whatever, but the fact that, um, uh, you know, again, if it's, if it's not your specialty, like, for instance... I don't treat eating disorders anymore. Yeah. Not because I hate people with eating disorders, but because treating eating disorders, uh, full blown eating disorders, requires a wraparound style of service that I just don't have time to involve myself in. I only I only see clients on Mondays, the rest of the time at, at the university or podcasting, and so it's when I treat people with eating disorders, it's pretty much a twenty-four-seven job uh, when they're when they're symptomatic, particularly because it's a matter of life and death yeah and so uh, so ha- so if you don't want to treat people with borderline then then you know that's fine but at the same time uh, the amount of clinicians who will say something like I never treat borderline and the amount of clinicians who will say it's pointless to treat someone with borderline mm. <laughs> you know there's that there's that too there is oh there's tons of people that say like oh never borderline's untreatable you can't you can't yeah. you can't help them. Um, and the amount of people who are just generally hateful uh, of people with borderline, you know. Hateful. That's a word. Yeah. Uh, is is just astonishing. Um, you know, I understand. Again, if you're just a regular person walking down the street and you hate borderline people, fine. But if you're a mental health professional and you can't see the woods through the trees sort yeah. of thing, yeah. it's like, it's just mind-boggling. It is. Yeah and i've ranted about that on this podcast a lot cuz i as you do specialize in people with borderline uh not a lot of my clients currently suffer from borderline but a lot in in my career have and i it's hard work but yeah. it's very yeah. gratifying to see people um change over time yeah and uh and yeah i i you know enjoy working with people with borderline so when people say right. those kinds of things that you're hearing i'm just right. like you know why are yeah. you that way <laughs> right um yeah and again people come to therapy because they have problems um and maybe if they stopped being treated that way they might actually react a little better <laughs> they might yeah um all right any last words here bob bobby g no yeah well good That's the end of this podcast in which we talked about that. Patron, let us know how things are going. Good luck. And everyone out there, here's my assignment. Do what you can to reduce stigma. And here are a few tips off the top of my head. Whenever anyone's talking about mental mental problems, do your best to not participate in stigmatizing language. You can even fight back against stigmatizing language and saying, yeah, it's a little stigmatizing what you just said right there. It's a little bit of a put down. Um, you can also, if you have suffered from any kind of mental illness uh, or any kind of mental issue, talk about it more. Uh, if you feel like you can to, you know, cause if everyone walked around with a sign over their head, indicating what mental illness, what mental issues they've had over the years, all the stigma would be gone because, it would suddenly just be like, oh, this is almost universal. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so, the more we talk about it, the 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 less stigma we can have in this in this arena. Um, other things that we can all do is to bother our politicians to dedicate more funds for this. It's just a matter of funding. You know, it's it it has a lot to do with that. Yeah. It has a lot to do with just. Uh, taking money away from I don't know let's say the military and giving it to uh, actual Americans who are suffering in this way, um, and that rec- and you know politicians listen to their constituency, they they want their vote you know and they act- and they a lot of them morally believe in serving their constituency and so if you write them and bu- bug them and there are are movements that are, you know, that people do. I know that there's there's people who do this. There's probably even websites that you can look to to for guidance around this sort of thing. Um there's also an organization called Psychologists Without Borders or Psychiatrists or Mental Health Care Workers Without Borders. It's, you know, doctors without borders. Yeah. They have a they have a subsection for mental health care without borders. Wow. So you can donate to that and that will help get you know, frankly, uh, the you know if we really want to get the most improvement out of our most bang for our buck, then getting healthcare services to people in other countries that might have a very limited mental health care system would uh, be in order. Um, so, so that's another issue. It's not just the United States, obviously. Uh, you know, we have a problem in the United States, but compared to the, some other countries uh, where we're doing much better, you yeah. know? So, um, also maybe if you're in particularly the Southern States where there's a bigger problem, uh, you know, raising awareness there could do a lot of good too. But even, like I said, even Washington has its problems. Yeah. Like when I, when I looked at the various different rankings, I thought Washington would be at, you know, near the top. Yeah. Cause there's a shit ton of therapists in Seattle. Right. But we're often at the middle of the pack which is surprising to me. I think partly because there's a lot of people who live in Washington. Um, so there's a lot of therapists, but there's also a lot of people. Um, like I said, New England, a lot of therapists there. But there's like other states like Oklahoma, I think, had a lot of therapists per capita. So it's it's kind of random. You know, it, it doesn't – the per capita thing um, isn't as intuitive as you would think. Yeah. So even Washington, we have a problem is my point. So – anyway well that does it for that episode thanks for joining us out there thanks for joining me Bob thank you and take care of yourself out there because why should people take care of themselves Bob
1: they deserve it they do <laughs>